Not what we do, mate. The problem is, <laughs> we're doing, mate. if you don't use the clutch <laughs> under the braking, it spills your Heineken. All right, welcome to Money Lap. I'm Parker Klugman, joined as always by Landing Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the Money Lap newsletter. Delivered your inbox three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday now. Full of motorsports highlights on Mondays, and then all the motorsport news and fun things on Wednesdays and Fridays. But Landon, you know what we have going on right now? Our own race. The Firecracker 400 it's Firecracker 400 season. Let's go. It is. It is. We're, we're, we're finally here after a long wait. I mean, a really an unfair wait for our community who's been begging for this to come back. The Firecracker 400 on iRacing. What is it, Parker? Well, the Firecracker 400 is a remake, our remake, on the iRacing simulation, motorsports simulation platform of the classic NASCAR Fourth of July spectacular at Daytona, where we run iRacing's version of the 1987 cars. So we've got Chevy Monte Carlos, Ford Thunderbirds, and what Buicks? We have Buicks this year. I think we have Buicks. What's the model? Yeah. What What is the model on that Buick? Anyways, we've got Buicks. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it is a motorsports tournament. So it's not just the 400 mile race it is an entire tournament of racing our goal when we set out to do this back in the pandemic our first time was we wanted um racers to experience all of the challenges of racing not just the challenge of a 400 mile race but the challenge of having to qualify through fields of cars single lap single car qualifying um so we have a race tournament structure that supports up to 500 competitors almost we will start narrowing them down next week um, to the top 88 drivers and those 88 drivers will do a single car single lap qualifying run over the course of two days to qualify into the 400 mile race so one winner will be awarded the trophy over hopefully almost 500 competitors signups are open right now yeah, and we've actually, I think we're over 200 signups already. Uh, just oh like the first 70. It's, opened, it's flying. We opened signups like yesterday. <laughs> um, what do you, have you taught, I, I want to spend just a couple minutes on Firecracker before we get into the PR lap. So yeah. for, for those iRacing, iRacers out there, where are we at on the event? Like I've been getting texts from some competitors that the tire fall off is crazy. The handling is going to be a big factor, um, especially if the weather's yep. going to be hot and slick in the sim. Um, what's your read on things right now? And that's always the thing. We try to mimic the weather of the real life. So it can be very, very mm -hmm. hot and slick, just like it was in real in the back in the day, the OGs of NASCAR, as we call them when we first put this together. Remember, if you want to sign up, like we just mentioned, there's room for just under 500 competitors. You can do that at eraser.gg, which is E-R-A-C-R.gg. You got to have an iRacing subscription, obviously, uh, but you'll find all that in the sign up. You can even get a competitor T-shirt and hat, uh, which oh, we've done for the first time this year. This year. Yeah, so you, we've never done that before, but you can only get it if you sign up um, when you're signing up. Otherwise, see, we will not be selling those otherwise. Also, big shout-out to Thrustmaster coming on board to make it the Thrustmaster Firecracker 400 this year with their T818 wheel, the direct drive wheel, which I'm actually going to mm. get one. Um, so I'm super excited. I've wanted 
a direct drive wheel forever. I've wanted this specific one from Thrustmaster for a while since I had a little, you know got to know those guys a couple years ago um, and found out this was coming, and I just feel like that's the wheel I want. So mm. I'm excited about that. Um, they're coming on board. We also have the NASCAR Hall of Fame, which has been a part of this for years, helping us kind of tell the stories and the history of this race and just why you know it was a classic, hot, slick NASCAR race, right? Stock car race. Um, and that's what we try to do in the iRacing Sim. So this is gonna be cool. And we'll probably, uh, you know, we'll see r some practice races are already going on out there. I see a bunch of the competitors in our discord talking about it and trying to run laps. And, you know, the most intense show to me though, but the prelims are fun, which is the two nights we do mm -hmm. next week where we boil it down from those almost 500 competitors to over two nights to, the 88, they're going to go into sec first and second round qualifying. But the thing I always find interesting is that qualifying show because these are not easy to qualify. And it's usually the spoilers are laid back. The cars are on edge. It's hot. It's slick. And we see wrecks all the time. As people try to, like, I remember it was at Dale Jr. saying it was like one of those nerve wracking laps he'd yeah. ever done. <laughs> I was yep, like, wait, yep. you're doing our junior. So that's really <laughs> cool. I, it's so cool to have it back. It's it is it's going to be really exciting. I think that we you know, we really wanted to create an event that um, took a lot of effort to succeed at from the competitor standpoint. Right, you have to get through these prelim qualifiers. It's, there's a short heat race, and then there's a feature, and you have to advance through each and every one of them. Um, there's a lot of unknowns because the cars are hard to drive. There's no I rating limitations, so we have you know Coke Series professional e NASCAR drivers racing against you know, average Joes and, um, the professional drivers don't always win, right? It, there's a lot of luck involved nope. too. And so, um, you know, all the way down to the single car qualifying, there's a lot of pressure on these drivers. And I feel like the end result is that we have this really meaningful event where if you can just make it to the end of the race or even to the start of the race, <laughs> to the 400, um, you accomplish something. And, and we hope that there's an emotional toll to that. And, and we've had that over the, the past years and so um just our our whole the way we broadcast it with the pre-race show and the documentary that we um that we show before the race it really captures um the competitors passion and and the history of the race obviously like you said with the help of the nascar hall of fame it's been really cool so um we've had some awesome participation in the past too i mean dale jr's competed in every one of them with us and um or has he been was he in the first one yeah, he's I think, so. Yeah, I think so. I, I think um, we need to make sure he's back in. I texted with him a little bit. I don't know if you did, but um, I told him it's fire firecracker season, and he he said I see that. <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully we can get him back on board. But um, the we've had a fair is, amount of cup drivers yeah. in it, yeah, and IndyCar drivers. You know, we've had all sorts of real race car drivers. But I, I think the cool part is, yeah, Kyle Busch has been in it. But I, I think the cool part is. You put it like we we don't we don't stop anyone from coming as long as you have an iRacing subscription and you can go around the track you you know you have a chance in this race and that means those it's a hard event it's over three weeks it really is sim racing's version of what the Firecracker 400 was which was a grueling hot stock car race in the heart of stock car country uh, and really hard to drive big heavy stock cars so yeah it I just think it encapsulates that in so many different ways forms and fashions and we as the uh, promoters and the broadcasters get to put on, get to watch the whole thing, um, which you can see on our Twitch 
and other places that we will promote, you know, live stream it. Uh, but all of it will be live streamed with the professional broadcasts, and you'll get to listen to us talk about it. So it's going to be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Should we jump in the PR lap? Let's do it. All right, that was a little bit about ourselves anyway. But the PR lap is obviously where we uh, we talk about all things podcast newsletter. Once again, check out the Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com. It's growing like crazy right now. I may have done some Twitter ads recently doing some testing, and they are going <laughs> wild. So uh, thank you for all the people that have found us through the Twitter ads because I've enjoyed that. It's been fun. We're at also, 81 reviews you, on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Parker, yeah. for um, funding our marketing campaign out of your own pocket. I did, yeah. I wanted to learn Wait, it did test you use anyway. Did for that? I don't. I didn't. I should have. Oh, damn it. Well, maybe wow. I did. Maybe I did. Wait, I did. I did use the company card. I didn't even pay for it. Yes. Oh, well, then never mind. I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> yeah, thanks for paying for this. Um, oh, my God. All right. Well, we Sorry were at derail you reviews. Again. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We're at 81 reviews on Apple Podcasts on our quest for uh, 100. We have 19 to go. Please help us out there. Just a couple that showed up this week. Uh, from Carly Girl T, ambassadors of motorsports talking. I've listened to every episode at this point. I find the guys insightful, goofy, and producer Josh keeps them moving along with great content. While I'm a huge Xfinity Series fan, I truly appreciate the deeper discussions of the business and skill of racing. Big fan, all capitals. Thank you, Carly. Um, by the way, keep up the good work from Addy Wags. Landon Parker, keep it up. The podcast has been fun to listen to, and the newsletter is a great pairing. It's really cool hearing someone I grew up with, Landon, and a favorite driver of mine, Parker, share different perspectives and stories. I must say Landon's stories leading into a live read is top shelf. Looking forward to the next episode. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I love I, this. Uh, that's great. I think that's our first review that's finally given me some – some love on that. Thank you. You're welcome. It's true. Yeah, you've become – you're finally you're getting not- uh, notoriety for your notoriety. amazing Nobody's stories. Nobody's ever said anything. They, they've oh, noticed. Okay. They just were holding back. Uh, we got a couple on Spotify. W. Grimes, always love these two, but landing telling stories that lead to an ad read are the greatest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also, oh Westford Jr. Uh, would like – would say it says land into Formula E, although I have an open dirt seat. So he supports your bid to go to Formula E, by the way. Oh, but there is an open dirt seat. Yes. Okay. We yes. need to talk about that. You got both. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that but would you be gotta... some serious range. <laughs> <laughs> you could not probably run any larger spectrum in motorsports than Formula E to dirt racing. Um when do we see dirt cars, <laughs> electric dirt cars? Well, they kind of have it. Nitro Rally crosses that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, respect. those things are awesome. Yeah, they're those very cool. Fast. Very cool cars. Faster than crap. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, our buddy Travis Estrada puts it on. Um, it's just it is. You know, I, I find that that series is awesome. Rally cross for whatever reason, not to totally derail because I want to go some other ways here, but rally cross for whatever reason uh, has just never been able to really captivate the general public in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had the global rally cross thing for a while. Then there was America's Rally Cross, and now there's Nitro Rally Cross, and it's just interesting that it it really is that X Games niche, you know, niche audience um, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to sort of cross into the motorsports world as as much as you'd think because it is cool. It's like, oh, these are cool cars. They're flying through the air. Yeah. They're on dirt, and and asphalt, and everything. Races are quick, but yeah, I just it 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 can't seem to get over the hump. So 
hopefully Travis and them can make it happen. They just started that thing, I think, last year or so or two years ago. So they've they've got they've got time, but kind of interesting. Do you have an opinion on that? Next on the PR lap. <laughs> That's your opinion. You um, my I raced the Chicago Street Course, which we're going to dive heavily into the Chicago Street Course here because it was an amazing time. Uh, but personally, just for me, we finished ninth. Um, was P one by a second in the beginning of practice when it was raining. Then the track dried out. Turned out our car was probably a little bit too soft. Fell to like being sixth or seventh fastest. I went out and qualifying. I nailed the wall in turn four on my first lap. Um, so then I put in another lap that was a little bit more conservative and got us into the second round. And then I went out to my first lap of the second round and about nailed the wall again. So then I came in, tried to cool it down, went out for a second lap, and that's when Sheldon wrecked and it you know canceled the rest of the session. So we started 10th. I think we got as high as eighth in the race in the 25 laps we ran, which were majority or uh, majority were under caution. And then lightning striked. It just, you know, to stop the race. Uh, then we tried to do it again the next morning on Sunday in the pouring rain. That never happened. And so the race st- stopped before halfway, which was unusual. Uh, you know, first thing I've been a part of, although it's, it's in the rule book uh, and it's allowed basically via like an act of God. Um and I think it was the right decision, just considering the you know the logistics of everything involved to run three laps yeah. was just not in anyone's best interest. But unfortunate because I really think we probably had more like a top five car, uh, even with how soft we were. If we could have just ran laps, but we never ran more like five laps. So it uh, that's that was disappointing. I think it was a race I really put a lot of effort into, and our team did thinking we could go win this, win this, um, and just. We just missed it a little bit for the dry. Uh, I was really hoping to run the wet because, as I said, we were a second faster in the field. So <laughs> we had a fair margin. Um, wait, I so felt wait, like Shane and Gisbert. Were you second faster in the field? It's like halfway through practice. Like probably well, a little less than halfway through practice when it was still wet. And then it started to dry out. And everyone oh, went to yeah. slicks, and then I fell way back. Yeah. yeah. yeah I felt yeah, like six, basically. I'm like, going, yeah. it's, it's mm-hmm. almost a full week ago, so I'm trying to go back and think about. Um, I watched yeah, pretty much. You and me both. Year. It's pretty awesome, but it was a bummer. Uh, it was a bummer you guys didn't get to finish, for sure. Um, so anyway, that was our time. Uh, before we go off the PR lap, I just want to say this is our tenth episode, so we've made it to double digits, Landon. Ooh, I think that's some sort of a, some great accolade. Nice, but that is pretty awesome. Core than that is that Chicago. And specifically, the NASCAR street race was the single biggest thing in motorsports this past weekend. And I will, you know, be remiss if we don't go deeper into it because it was just one of the most incredible events. But I've actually skipped ahead too far, by the way, because I think <laughs> we should doing? point two things out. Well, I think I just realized something. One, I'm in a WeWork phone booth. <laughs> if I sound weird. And two, you are not home. You're on vacation mm. because tomorrow is your birthday. <laughs> I'm That's on exciting. vacation because my birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> no. Um, well, I don't know what you're doing, but I just know your birthday is tomorrow. I, well, I mean, I'm in Florida right now. Uh, we're, we took a little family trip down to Florida, dropping my daughter off for the summer. And um, yes, tomorrow is my birthday, Parker. How, um, how do you do birthdays? When you're as old as we are, sad and alone. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Actually, the uh, I'm being informed now that the pod is going to be released on my birthday, so that's even perfect. It's even better. Um, so, is that is that sad and alone? Is that how you do it? Like when you have no kids? Is that the whole thing? Yeah, basically. You know. <laughs> by the way, talking about kids, my wife and I have this like, especially because you and some of our other friends um, that are our age, but like don't have kids you know you're a you're a topic in our household that comes up an awful lot and a lot of times it's when the kids are being insane and she'll just look at me and, and say something about parker or she'll just look at me and be like they say it's worth it um <laughs> but so i turned 34 you're, you're a topic in our household as well for that same situation <laughs> i know for the opposite side of it what do you, no i'm serious what do you do on birthdays like i'm 34 this year and i feel like i i don't ever want for it my my wife wanted to know what i wanted for my birthday and i it's always like i don't want to do anything i i i don't have a present in mind or gifts in mind i don't like what do you ask for right now for birthday christmas mm -hmm. whatever, when you're 34 what is it <sighs> i always like, say we're looking you can't you know we're looking for like yeah sleep <laughs> like some mobility like a good 30 minutes to stretch maybe some, <laughs> some quiet time I like to read my finish my book <laughs> i actually um i did so i going on the health and fitness side of things i i have been running and training a lot you know trying to stay fit ready to be back in a car whenever the time is right um and i did say last week and it was a little bit last minute so I didn't. I don't feel like I fully planned for it, but I did say I want to run 34k on my 34th birthday, which would be like 20, 21 miles. Wow! So I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it though. I've got this like little kind of running injury that's been bothering my um, my right ankle. Ran 12 miles on Tuesday and it didn't feel great. So I don't know if I'm going to do 34k on my 34th birthday, but. That was kind of my goal. So sometimes around my 34th birthday, I'll do 34K. So that was like my present to myself. Um, but I don't know. I'll get uh, I'll get something. I didn't really ask for anything. Oh, we did on our road trip down here. This is part of having kids in the car or kids around. Is um, Daphne like grabbed something out of my wife's bag and held it up and goes, Mom, what's this? And Katie like swiped it down. And was like, put that away. That's for later. And I'm like, that's something for my birthday, probably. <laughs> but I don't know. I just don't know. I don't have like somebody. Somebody in the somebody needs to leave a review or shoot me a tweet and be like, how do you how do you ask for things for your birthday? It's not like when we were a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I nope. would get like. When I was a kid, it was easy, because it was like, I want race cars, right? Yep. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's what you asked for when you were a kid. I wish when we were a kid that we had things like spoilerdiecast.com because that yes. would have been the perfect birthday, easy, free shipping, gold mine for racing fans just like me. They have one of the largest inventories of in-stock products in the industry. Could you could you imagine asking your mom or dad for to just to go to spoilerdiecast.com for your birthday? I mean, and it's not just for NASCAR. They offer diecast for dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, F1, and that's not all. They have a pre-order system in place for diecast with a zero down, 
zero dollar down option. I think I always mess that part up. Talk about flexibility, right? But hold on, it gets even better. They have a promo code MONEYLAP. So you could tell mom and dad, it's my birthday, but if you use MONEYLAP, you get free shipping and 5% off all orders. Now, 5% may not seem like a lot, but it's your birthday. I mean, that's just like an added bonus. And in the racing world, that's like getting the pole, P1. So if you're looking to upgrade your diecast collection or you need to give your husband or wife or parents some direction on a birthday gift with some sweet new gear, head on over to SpoilerDieCast.com. And even if you don't like racing, do it for the free shipping. Do it. Do it get, get your buddy Parker a diecast from SpoilerDieCast.com. Trust me, you won't regret it. <laughs> Love it. Tricked once again. Well done. Love Spoiler Diecast. Go over there and check them out. SpoilerDieCast.com for all the great reasons you just listed. I know what I'm you know getting what I... you for your birthday. And I hold on. I just mm-hmm. ordered it uh, no. on, on Spoiler Diecast. It's headed your way. You will see. Oh, no. Uh, it's it's the only thing I'm getting you that was better than the fast sign I had sent to your house that I still haven't picked up. So. <laughs> um, I just remember the one thing I do ask for. Every birthday, and I think I've asked for this every year since I was seven years old, and that is an ice cream cake from Dairy Queen. Oh, I'm pretty sure that that's my favorite birthday cake, birthday anything. So there we go. (laughs) Hopefully I get an ice cream cake here in Orlando. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) I hope you get an ice cream cake. But I have sent you what I think is the best thing for you on Spoiler Diecast. Very excited. Wow. So not only did I get through this awesome story and ad read, I conned you out of a birthday present through it. Well done. That's great. I don't know if it was conned or guilted. I felt kind of guilted into it, to be honest. (laughs) Wow. Was my my birthday (laughs) present story that pitiful? Well, no, it just just sounded a little sad to begin with. Um, And then, you know, then you picked it up. I can't even do my 34K. 34 young. 34 young, 34 young. I know you're, I think 34 is the new 24. So technically, you know, you're just right at the start of this whole thing, just with a lot more wisdom and experience. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Speaking of which, I want to talk about age because now I'm definitely going to bring it back to NASCAR, Chicago street race, the biggest thing in motorsports this past weekend. And this is the part Landon that blew me away. All right. This part, Beside that, I went there three times in the last three weeks to promote this race. Uh, got drowned mm-hmm. in the lake in Lake Michigan by the SailGP people, which was fun. Um, and then, you know, promoted it during the national race. I still wasn't, you know, I saw the promotion and I saw it come together, but I was like, I really didn't know what to expect, right? And mm-hmm. I've been to street races before. I just didn't know what NASCAR street race was going to look like. On Saturday, I arrived to the track in the morning um, because we had, you know, practice qualify and then we did the race and it was a little rainy and that sort of thing but as the day went on the sun came out it was unbelievable the crowd and as we built Mm -hmm. towards the race i went and did some appearances in the midways and that sort of stuff one i'd never had such large crowds my appearances two i could barely walk through the crowd without getting stopped and three it was the youngest most diverse most attractive crowd and that's not putting other races down. I'm just saying yeah. this was not – this was a very uh, much like a music festival crowd at a NASCAR uh-huh. race. <laughs> I just – I was like, what is happening? Where am I? But here's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, well, they're here for the concerts. Yes, except two things to, to you know dispute that. One, 
We're walking through the midway. There's all these people that they're flooding into the gates constantly. It's the largest crowd I've ever seen on a Saturday at a NASCAR track in my entire life. And I've been going to NASCAR races since 2007 uh, and obviously been racing NASCAR since 2009. So I'm telling you when I say this, it's the largest crowd I ever, I've ever seen. Um, they line to take a photo in front of the ginormous NASCAR 75 logo was mm. blocks long. And these, all these people were wearing – say they were wearing a Red Bull F1 t-shirt. They had just bought a NASCAR hat or they're wearing an F1 hat and they just bought a NASCAR t-shirt. Like the merchandise hauler line was just as long because – and it was people with F1 gear in line to buy NASCAR gear. And I was like, where am I? Is this some sort of like weird new universe that we've entered? Um, I even turned my PR guy at one time as I'm walking through and getting stopped by all these people being like, am I Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Like where are we? Uh, it was, it was unbelievable. It led to the crowd when I was running around the racetrack we got the first caution and I'm looking around and the, everywhere you could see the fans or see an opening, there was 10 deep worth of people taking photos and like, you could see them jumping up and down on the fence and drinking. And it was just like, this is the most unbelievable experience I've ever seen. Um, and then, you know, the racetrack was cool. It was, it was a perfectly Fine racetrack. They actually had some cool bits where the cars looked really fast. Um, even though, you know, we're not going super fast. High speed high speed is like 145. There was areas, you know, our cars don't really require a ton of speed to look like they're going fast because, one, they're kind it's of big. And two, it, they move it's around. It's funny ton, how it looks. Right? They look like they're going so much faster than that. <laughs> yeah, because well, because they move around a ton, which is like every right. other – I've always talked about this where, you know, if the cars are super static, which happened through the mid-2000s when we cool bonding and all that stuff. One of the things people never talk about is the lack of dynamicism of the race car. Like once they stop moving around and visibly moving and up and down and side to side, you know, that takes away an element of your perception of what drivers are doing or the cars going fast. Mm-hmm. And this – you don't you have that here because you can't help but see them move and wiggle and all this stuff because they're big heavy stock cars in a confined space um and the walls are really close and then i just you know i just run through a couple more things from this experience you know this led and i could talk about the cup side where the, the crowd on the cup day just got bigger and bigger and it was the same field just like this music festival slash f1 crowd had suddenly found nascar and were into it they were vocal they were you know wanting to learn more it was so obvious when they said I think over 80% of the ticket buyers were first-time NASCAR ticket buyers. Like that was obvious, but it was also a very educated crowd. And the reason I bring that up, I would be walking through the streets in street clothes and literally get stopped by someone being like, yo, Park Klingerman, can I get a photo? And I'm like, what? Where am I? <laughs> Where is this? This doesn't happen. It led all the way to you know after the race. We were out Sunday night in some of the bars, and they were packed with race fans that were still out after the races and everything that just, I don't know if I've really experienced that often because the bars aren't that close to the track. I don't know, but it was just so cool. It was such a great experience. And I, I'm going to make a statement here. I know this thing cost, you know, estimated around 50 million bucks to do or whatever, but you know, it was the highest rated race since Daytona, the highest rated race on NBC in six years. It was the most watched race ever on Peacock. This street course, idea was a massive success whether it comes back to chicago or not because i think it will be in other places but to me this is the fix for all of nascar's woes and i don't mean that that you need to go street course racing primarily i mean three or four times a year this is the marketing thing for nascar that can solve all of its problems 
Um, and I, I truly, truly believe that. So, um, I, can we, I w- can we dive into that statement just a little bit? Mm-hmm. So go ahead. That's, that's an interest. That's a really interesting point. First of all, you're opening yourself up for some tremendous criticism and tomatoes by saying, okay, it's the fix to all woes, right? That's just that statement in itself is too refutable. Uh, but it's a very interesting point. And, and what, what actually came to mind in that point um, is NASCAR's goal is like, uh, how, how can we find a new audience? How can we draw in a new audience, right? And we've heard that from NASCAR. They've told us that. But they also, you know, tell us when they're doing it, right? They, they, we heard going into the Chicago weekend that, what, 70 or 80% of ticket um, purchases for this event were yep. first time fans, first time visitor or first time attendees. So yep. there's been all kinds of tests and things done through the years to try to reach new audiences, right? Different kind of ads and and branding efforts and marketing efforts and messaging. But it's almost like it's all, you know, marketing is so can be so hit or miss if it's just part of an advertisement right on if it's really going to resonate or not the the true thing that resonates is is going to the place right and going to the mm-hmm. people and and you know i may the people that maybe they were trying to reach or the people that that we'd love to reach that is a extremely scalable audience because there's so such a high density of people are in these big cities right like how can we as a sport that has really loud cars and we take up a lot of space, how, how can we entertain people that live in big, big cities? Because, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, I mean, there's tens of millions of people in these cities, right? Yep. Um, and I guess you can advertise them to death, but they're only gonna, it's only gonna resonate so much until you literally put a car in front of them and, and show them how awesome it is. And so, I understand that you can't, you know, like you said, that doesn't mean we need to have st- 10 street courses a year. Um, but it's, it was definitely an interesting experiment that I think was, had to have been a success in terms of the idea of, of generating new and fresh interest, a, a fresh look at the sport. hundred percent. And, you know, I, I think, think it you had can the relate same it. If we, well, I, it, let's say that this was a, this, let's just say that we had one street course a year Mm-hmm. And I understand it's fifty million to build it, and I'm not saying that this makes economical sense over you know just going to Chicago again every year. But like, imagine that this was a touring road course that every next year it was in New York, the following year it was oh, yeah. in Austin, or you know I guess we race in Coda. But like, then we go to L.A., then we you know whatever city will take us. That's that's huge. You know, I mean, there's yep. only a handful of them in the U.S. until we run out of the biggest cities. But we could race Miami, New York, L.A. Chicago, you know, Houston, like there's some big old cities that could handle a road course that would be, or a street course that would be pretty awesome. And I I bet you that next year we could go to New York and have the same, the same effect. Long Beach. Oh yeah. Um, have the same effect. I mean, cause you're going to where the people are in terms of that audience that they're looking for, right? This, 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 what am I trying to say? Metropolitan audience, I guess, or yeah, um, diverse, you know, big younger. city, big city, urban yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, yep. 
I mean, it's it's so easy to go for them to attend these races when you can Uber closer to the track and you're not, you know, driving an hour out of town to go to a race 30, 40 minutes out of town. I don't know. Well, here, I, I, let me. I, I was me so excited. I, I, I don't want to say I was a. Yeah. I wasn't a naysayer by any means, but I didn't think that it would have this kind of impact. I just thought it would be cool that like us industry people would be like, man, that was a cool course, but did it really, you know, move the needle? And this was like, oh no, it it moved the needle. And I and we could feel. That, I mean, we were talking about it leading up to the race. Those couple days leading up to the race weekend, it was obvious that this was going to be cool. Yep. And. Yep. I can always judge it by the the people outside of the sport that message me over the course of a race weekend. And once again, mm-hmm. I had non-NASCAR fans texting me talking about how cool <laughs> the Chicago race was. And I, I know we haven't gotten into it yet, but how cool it was that that New Zealand guy won the race. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. That, yep. So it was definitely special. <laughs> so uh, just a couple things unpack from your side of this. One, you never refuted my point, so I'm going to say my point was a win, and I'm correct. <laughs> Secondly, uh, we know you. No, the point. The, hold on. Hold the on. Point hold on. That I was hold point, on. The point that I was pointing out. Hold on. Hold on. The point that I was pointing out is that yeah. when you use a word like always and never, and then you're just you're just opening yourself up for uh, <laughs> to be refuted. I, I guess I don't know. You well, win. you didn't do a good job of that. So I guess I didn't do a good job. <laughs> so one thing to unpack. Two, or one thing to unpack. So the idea, the forever about NASCAR was you got to get them to the track, then they're hooked, right? Well, now that's become really hard. And so this idea of like bringing them to the the race to them makes sense. I get that scenario, but we've seen that in other forms of racing, F1, IndyCar, sports cars. They've all done it, right? So obviously this was just different for NASCAR to do it. Um, And it worked. That definitely worked. Two, when I say street course, I should have used a different term. I should have used temporary circuits. And that means mm-hmm. the Coliseum event. To me, you know, a Coliseum event, a street course. And then even, like, I keep having this idea of, like, where else could you put an oval, maybe, that's like a street course oval sort of thing. Like, that could be a possibility. Oh, I know. So, I didn't I, talk about that over the weekend, but I had the same dream as a short track oval racer, like, how cool mm-hmm. would it be to have it just a, a half a mile oval racetrack that was yes, a street course? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. How cool would that be? And if you could maybe even, you know, spend a little money and add a little banking on on the la- highest lane all the way outside or something. Like, I don't know how you could do it. <laughs> something like that. Something that you could do so you could have the you know the form of racing so you have a variety of it. I just think that possibility exists and it could be so condensed you wouldn't even take up the 2.2 mile track, right? Like it could even be more condensed and maybe maybe when you say cities like New York City being on Manhattan, that would be important. Uh I wonder if you could pull that off. So, I did hear rumors there was other mayors uh at the race. Um and there's a lot of rumors going around about other places that are looking, you know, they're looking to go, including New York City, which would be insane. Um, oh but I think I think to really sum it all up, this was a you put it out there. It was a huge mover of the needle for NASCAR. I think the ramifications of this will be felt for a while. I had so many people over the last couple of months, and then through this weekend, hitting me up about that and talking about it, and I could see it across all different forms of media. Um, and it just, I think it worked. But we should probably talk about the race, which. The huge story, Shane Van Dies- Shane <laughs> Now I'm screwing up. I know him, <laughs> I know him well, and I'm screwing it up after everyone talked about screwing up. Shane Van Gisbergen won 
the super three-time supercar champ, a guy I used to sim race with back 10 years ago on iRacing and was a big fan of. Uh, I knew he would be good, and I think we said on this podcast he'd either struggle or win. Yeah, well, he won. And Landon, you were paying attention all weekend. The right foot braking, the clutching, something's going on there, but he had everyone covered this weekend. He did. So, I, I, so that now is now our chance to dive into that. Because now's our chance. So, we, we've I'm covered so the interested. It's big. I'm so interested in this. Um, first of all, he, you know, I want to stick up for, for NASCAR and stock car, oval track drivers, our whole schedule, things like that. You know, this race was in his wheelhouse, right? Like, this race oh, yeah. was designed for him. If he was the only guy, he's the only guy that, that got to come over and do this from the rest of his peers. Um, this race was designed for him. I guess Jess, Jensen Button was in the field, but even Jensen Button is... Not designed for him. You know, he, this this race wasn't you know, designed for the cars. Yeah, remember right. the cars, this, the racing supercars are essentially this car, you know, very similar. Right. If supercars were, were, um, where SVG comes from are so similar to the cup cars. The street courses are, they're racing on street courses, road courses every single week, street courses. I mean, you know, you could just look at the NASCAR schedule. The The cup series regulars had to go from, where were you before Chicago? I guess you had an off weekend. Uh, Sonoma. We're, we're Nashville. No, we were in uh, Nashville. Nashville. They raced a Nashville yeah. concrete oval, uh, <laughs> run Chicago street course, and now they're going to Atlanta, right? What's SVG doing? Yep. He's actually racing on a street course again in the supercars um, next weekend or this weekend. So this race was designed for him. But now that I got that out of the way, um, it still was really interesting to me to see his dominance. And it makes me wonder what what is on the horizon for cup drivers because if if an if somebody from outside of NASCAR can come in and win like that at any race even if the race is designed for them it's still the cup series right it's still the hardest stock car racing series in the world and it makes me wonder what what NASCAR drivers are on notice in terms of their road course racing skills. Um, that's the first, that's my first topic of discussion. My second topic of discussion is if we want to elevate ourselves to that level and Parker, you and I've kind of talked about this, but we haven't dove into it yet. But my question is if we want to elevate ourselves as drivers, me and you stock car guys, right? If we mm -hmm. want to elevate ourselves to the level of SVG on a street course, which we're going to have to if we're going to be – because this guy, I can imagine this isn't going to be his last chance in a cup car, right? Nope. And I can imagine that there's going to be more VA supercar drivers coming over to the cup series getting a shot to drive, yep. right? If we ever want to be as good as those guys, do we have to right foot break? Or we have to – hmm. like did, did our sport, did our drivers – 15 years, 20 years ago when we started left foot braking on road course. Cause we haven't always done that. Right. Like back in the nineties, there was a lot of right foot breakers. I mean, I think Bobby Labonte finished his career as a right foot breaker. Um, yep. I don't know if he used the, how he used the clutch at road courses, but I mean, Max Pappas, not necessarily a 
renowned stock car driver, but Max Pappas, right foot braked all through his stock car driving career. I'm pretty sure Boer said, I don't know what he was doing at the end of his stock car career, but um, you know, it's when the transmissions got to the point where we didn't need to use the clutch on downshifts, when we weren't required to use the clutch on downshifts, I wonder if we got lazy, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we weren't, because we're stock car drivers, we're spending the majority of our season on ovals. We only had two road courses a year. You know, you can say there were road course ringers, but were they really running good enough equipment to win anyways? Like, were stock car drivers really being pushed enough to have to figure out the best way to break these cars, right? Yep. And then and at the same time, you introduce these new transmissions where we don't need to use clutches to shift. And so it just is easy to go back to doing what we're doing at every other racetrack, which is left foot braking. And we end up having an entire generation of drivers that don't know how to slow a car down on a road course. Mm-hmm. Like, did we create so, that? And did, did, did SVG just show up and remind everybody why in the year of our Lord 2023 on the other side of the world, they still right foot brake on road courses in stock cars. <laughs> because right? they primarily race stock cars on road courses and they discovered because this they is the best Because they primarily race stock cars on road <laughs> courses, right? And they, yep. ha- they have a field of 40 of the best road course stock car drivers in the world in Australia driving these things. 28. And they all right foot yep. brake because you ha- you cannot use engine de- and uh, sorry I'm like getting to the point here but it's like because using engine decel in a braking zone on a road course actually creates an imbalance on the car right yep and it hurts the tires. if you and hurts the tires right if you can use the clutch sparingly or the right way I I don't know maybe I'm I'm out of my own wheelhouse cuz I don't even know what I'm like it's almost like I don't even know what I'm talking <laughs> about cuz I don't do that Right, I know yep. a little bit about what it feels like. I've done, I've tried it before, but it'd be a whole new discipline for me to to work on. And I'm sitting here thinking, are we are we really just missing that as NASCAR stock car drivers who have been used to racing on road courses twice a year, and now all of a sudden we have to do it six times a year, eight times a year? And oh, by the way, there's a street course. Now there's a street course. <laughs> it's like, are we being? Is it like a snap to reality where if Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kyle, Lar- you know, like. Are those guys just going to get beat over and over again by SVG until we finally go, okay, we got to figure out how to right foot brake? Yep. Or am I wrong? Well, Is that not even it? Do it. Do, do v, I think they, I think you have to be asking the question. I think you have to be. I think you, if you're in the Cup Series right now, especially that car, you know, knowing what you saw this weekend, his fastest lap in the race was almost a second faster than the field. So it's not even something close. is and going on. And by the way, there. like, yeah, I want to make a quick point too. The, the, from my perspective, the Joe Gibbs cars, the Toyotas in the field were head and shoulders better than any other organization. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. The Toyotas pull. were fast, right? Denny Hamlin's mm-hmm. a fantastic driver. Martin Trix is a proven road course racer. Like Christopher Bell Tyler is Reddick. no slouch. Tyler, Red- but those guys were all up front. Yep. Right, like that. That right there tells you that the Toyotas were good, not just those drivers. And it could have been their, it could have been their sim. Who knows? Like it could have been just the time that those drivers spent in the sim, and it might have been the drivers. But I'm just saying, Toyota's preparation was better than anybody else's. Obviously, mm-hmm. Trackhouse is good, but Ross, who is a good road course racer, 
wasn't like I mean I I don't know. I mean he he wasn't a top 5 car all weekend. I think nope. Daniel kind of had some moments, but the the 91 was, right? So not only like did SDG outrun the whole field, like he outran his teammates. So he was obviously mm-hmm. better than his than the other track house cars. Um and like you said over almost a second faster than the next car in the race. <laughs> I, so I, I want to dial, dial back for just a second and talk about this and tell me if yeah. we're if we're going too too deep into this we need to move on that's fine, but like do we understand what I'm talking about here in terms of why, what what using the clutch is under braking like I feel like our well, so listeners I, want to I go hope our listeners like it. Well, I'm gonna yeah, try. Like I, 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 talk, I, I hope our listeners like it. when we talk about the technical aspects of driving because I want to. Yep. You can you can explain this part. I'll shut up for a minute. But like talk about what we're talking about. So a little bit of history, background on this. Yeah, so basically supercars, uh, many years ago, their, their generation car, when I started watching supercars, was like 05, 06. I used to download off torrents. I was obsessed. And they would all right foot brake and clutch on the downshifts because they had a specific, specific diff that, for whatever reason, wanted that situation where you didn't want to mix throttle and brake and you didn't want to, you know, you just wanted to slow it down that way. And I, one of our listeners uh, explained it on Twitter to us, actually, which I, I won't remember the technicalities of it. But nonetheless... That started that trend. It was only like one guy who left foot braked. And he, he wasn't – it was actually – I think it was Greg Murphy, uh, who was a New Zealander, actually, funny enough. And, you know, but it was really foreign to left foot brake. Um, and then as they progressed, the, the, the diffs changed. They got better, that sort of thing. They kept doing it. And I noticed it even like a couple years ago, and I thought, man, they've gone to like so many generations of cars. Maybe it's just like ingrained in them as to keep doing that. But then I was talking to AJ Omdinger, who was teammates with Marcus Ambrose, who was also a supercar racer and champion who came over here and was very successful on road courses in NASCAR in the old car. And he would right foot brake and do this deal where he would clutch and skip gears. So if he was going from fourth to second, he would brake, clutch the car, take it out of fourth. And instead of going down the third engine braking, then down the second, as we do, a lot of us call it rowing gears, that sort of thing, he literally would just go from fourth, pop it to neutral, then unlip, you know, let out the clutch into second and sort of use that clutch to match the revs of the engine to the rear tires. Really fascinating stuff. All we're having AJ, is right foot braking at yes, a threshold. Braking. Right? Like threshold. Like was doing it perfectly. Yeah. It's, which it's is like crazy. You have it's a good point. A drummer to do this. You have to play, you have to play the drum for something. <laughs> which you, I can't you do. do. You have to be ambidextrous on your hands and your feet. So then all four of what you got. <laughs> your left, your your let just just a quick recap, and I'll let you finish this. Your left hand is holding the steering wheel. Your right hand is holding a shifter, going from fourth gear to second gear. If you've ever driven an H pattern car, you know you're not just going straight up and straight back. Now you're going from fourth gear to second gear. Your right foot is holding the brake pedal down, and that's probably one of the most important things that's happening, right? Because it's has to be yep. steady. It has to be you know a constant Modulated. pressure. It has to yeah, be mo- and modulated, modulated, but you really want it to be a constant pressure. You don't want to yep. modulate. If you're modulating, then you're you're then Something's you made a mistake, wrong. right? So you want a constant pressure on the brakes. You're at threshold. You're you're probably not blipping because you've got the clutch kind of in, but you're be ready to blip. So it's in a position to blip the gas, and then your left foot's on the clutch. Okay, so everything's happening. Yep, all at once. Go on. And you're you're then releasing that clutch. While you're holding the brake, you're right, you're releasing that clutch slowly to sort of match the revs and, and make sure the tires don't chirp and that sort of thing. And that all the while you're turning to the corner and doing all that. Incredibly uh, you know, full of incredibly complex. 
AJ tried it. He told me he went around at a test day and tried it for half a day or ever, wrecked all, you know, basically wrecked all over the place. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm done. And so it kind of went away as Marcus Ambrose went away. And then this weekend, heading into it, I saw some things that SVG said he was going to write for breaks. So I actually texted, remember, if you the other pod, I texted Marks, Justin Marks about that. And he's like, yeah, man, it's his secret sauce. It was makes him good. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. And I just thought, like, mm, I don't know if that's going to work over here. Like, I, I don't think these cars need it. But what he exposed, and you you've brought this up, is that doing that treats the rear tires better. And you create longevity in the rear tires. You create a better braking platform for the car, which allows it to slow down quicker. And so all these things compound to eventually make you faster. So to I your earlier point, summarize. if you're – hold on. If you're a I cup driver right now – Go ahead. Go ahead. If you're a cup driver right now and you didn't leave this weekend thinking, I have got to go on the sim and then I've got to start to try and work this in and have this as a part of my arsenal because something's going on there. And when I think of high wear places like Sonoma and you know other places we go like that, maybe even Coda, and I start to think, huh, if I can find a way to do this and do this at the level they're doing it, how can I not pay attention to the style driving? And does it shift? I don't know. But it's to me, he just changed the game on road courses in the NASCAR Cup Series. And if you're not paying attention, then you are going to be behind. 100%. I, I wanted to just summarize really quick, why is that better? For the listener, Like, why is using the clutch? Like, we talked about saving the tires, but that's not even, that doesn't even answer the question of, like, what's happening. What's, what's happening is... When you let out of the throttle and you don't touch the the brakes, right? Something is slowing the car down. The car slows down, right? It stops accelerating, starts slowing down. You have arrow slowing the car down, right? The drag on the body, but you have the the deceleration of the engine, the RPMs, the drivetrain decelerating, slowing the rear tires down, right? So when you're when you're breaking a car into a corner and you're allowing that engine to slow the tire down, think of a Jake brake on a truck, right? When you're allowing the drivetrain to slow the rear tires down, they're choosing the, that, that drivetrain is choosing a pace for those rear tires to slow the car down. But at the same time, you're trying to control the pace of the car slowing down with the brake pedal. So that, I guess in theory or not even in theory, that actually, that creates an imbalance in the car, right? Where the rear tires are trying to slow down at a different pace as the front tires, and so the clamping power needed of the rear brakes is different than the clamping power needed in the front brakes. That's a lot going on for you to feel just in your foot. So when you clutch under braking, like SVG does, it takes the 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 drivetrain deceleration out of the picture, right? And now you can naturally slow the car down with the brakes. That's my understanding of how it works. Do I have mm-hmm. that right? Am I with yeah, you? It keeps the platform better. Yeah. And it keeps the platform so better. So it keeps the car more balanced. When the car's more yep. balanced, it's more predictable. When it's more predictable, you can feel the car better. You can get that last few feet of Breaking point, lift point, speed, whatever, mile per hour out of the car. Yep. That's where that's coming from. I uh, I think... It's fascinating. We could be completely off. I've been driving race cars my whole life. 
VA supercar, <laughs> supercar's driver could listen to this and be like, what in the heck is he talking about? Well, they'd be like, what the hell and, is this made about? Or some engineer could be like, that ain't, that's not what happens. But I, mate. I don't. <laughs> oh, mate. It's not what we're doing, bro. <laughs> Not what we do, mate. The problem is, <laughs> we're doing, mate. if you don't use the clutch <laughs> under the braking, it spills your Heineken. <laughs> or your Fosters. Your Foster. That's what they drink, Fosters. Not Heineken is uh, that's yeah. Irish. No, wait, he- yeah, Heineken? No, I don't know. I didn't I know you know. had that voice either. This is great. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> maybe they, maybe right, they do that just to smooth it. Maybe they just <laughs> smooth it all out so they don't spill their beer under braking. I thought it was because they were upside down down there, and so they just <laughs> did it all backwards. <laughs> it could be. They drive on the wrong side of the car. Yeah. Pretty oh, cool. Oh, that's not the other part we never talked about, by I the way. I know. You know how you get in our car? <laughs> you just smoked them by, like, from the left side of the I'm gonna car. I'm going to swear here for a second. I'm going to just say something real quick. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> this guy has himself on the totally different side of the car. To, in the streets where you have to be precision, they talk. Supercar drivers talk about they they nick the mirrors in their cars against the wall to find out exactly how far they can go. This guy's an entirely different side of the car. One of the hardest corners there was turn eight, where you had the right side of the car and you had to get as close to the wall as possible. Yeah, like Austin I would Dylan get so close, my side skirt. Yeah, no, he didn't. But <laughs> you know, Chase Elliott and following him in qualifying did not nick the mirrors. Uh, no. You know, I would, I would, my side skirt was pushed out, so I'd hear my side skirt touch that wall, like that sort of thing. And here's a guy who's on the total opposite side of the car and just oh doesn't gosh. even matter. Oh, unbelievable. Let's move on. All I can say is game changer in so many respects. NASCAR Chicago street course, epic event, and SVG, an incredible talent. Um, and I, I, I think we'll see him in NASCAR. I think he's going to come over here. I really do. I believe this is it. Yeah. We, we, he will hit you with the next Marcus Ambrose. He's a racer through and through. He's only 34. Um, hey, wait, say more. And yeah, I think he's going to come over here to NASCAR. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk real quick. Just another more NASCAR news. Uh, Spire Motorsports announced that Gamebridge has come on board as a partner, uh, which is a really big deal. They're massive in IndyCar. They sponsor um, the Rev Racing deal with Nick Sanchez and Trucks. Um, they're the reported, you know, funding behind the Andretti Global um, F1 team, and you know, I think even part ownership in the Andretti F1 team sort of deal. So, really getting involved in racing. Last thing for them to be involved in was NASCAR. Uh, with this, Marco Andretti will be doing a start in the Spire Motorsports number seven truck at Mid Ohio. Um, but also, they're basically on for 17 of the 18 remaining races um, on the Spire Motorsports cars, so a big investment. And I texted Corey Joy a little bit. Pretty exciting moment for this team um, and for him and just seeing you know this happening. But I think there's a lot of layers to unpack. I don't think there's a lot of total answers out there. But you know, Andretti has mentioned in, ter- in part of their uh, Motorsports Global Takeover, which has got everything but F1 and NASCAR, they want to <laughs> find a way into NASCAR. So I'm looking, you know, I'm just putting two plus three maybe and getting four. I don't know. But, you know, this is, uh, to me, could signal the start of the Andretti name coming to NASCAR. It should be pretty cool. So Yeah, I mean, they've, Andretti's been talking about it for a long time. Um, so it'd be interesting. I mean, I think that it doesn't even, Josh is messaging us tinfoil hat alert in the in the producer chat here i don't <laughs> i don't even think it takes tinfoil hat because now everything in the cup series no. is so 
so much more transparent and obvious um, if you just pay attention. There's only so many charters, right? Um, if Andretti wants to be a NASCAR, they've got to get they got to align themselves with an organization that has charters and and ultimately come up with the right business arrangement. Because the other thing I think that's interesting about you know inquiring investors or or race teams that want to be in NASCAR these the team owners that own charters in NASCAR have have been so steadfast on what they think their charters are worth that the thought of just coming in here and shelling out 20 20 20 million whatever each charter is hard to stomach right for anybody no matter how much money you have and you got to fund these teams so it's i think it's taking some strategic positioning and and partnering to figure out who can we partner with and what's the relationship look like and what's maybe the the actual exit strategy of the the chartered team owner and so who knows i, I don't know there could be a deal in place with spire and andretti already i i don't know about it i mean i've known the spire people i suppose i could just ask but i don't think they'd tell me anyways <laughs> <laughs> um but like it, you know, there could be a deal in place, or this could be you know Gainbridge and Andretti's way of of building a relationship, you know, and figuring out yep um, how to can I just say align. well yeah. can I just say that is some incredible journalistic work by the way that you just put together. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I could ask, but they might not. They probably won't tell me. <laughs> yeah, more on that later. Come to the Money Lab <laughs> podcast, and you want in journalistic insights just more like on that. that later. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then I guess maybe I'm being too broad, but I just wanted to make this point of like these. It's so funny because you just don't know. You you just never know where these things are at in the process. Um, but it is it's so interesting because we are in this world where Andretti has not been shy about their interest and their capability of of venturing into all motorsports. So it's not like it has to be some big secret or tinfoil hat conspiracy that they want to be in nascar would be in nascar and then you the yep. question there is like okay well how do they do it well you could run down the list of all the chartered organizations and ultimately you're going to only you're going to find two or three of them that have that make sense you know yep um yep and spire is probably top of that list you know even rick Ware racing is like okay they could partner with rick or rick, rick Ware racing to get their charters but but Rick Ware, he's he's got a pretty good little operation going. He himself is is venturing into other motorsports. I I think that I I hope his business is doing well. That he doesn't need to sell to Andretti. That could take him out of mm-hmm. um the uh, that could that could take him off the table for for Andretti. So yep yep um you know if Andretti wants to get in NASCAR, it, Spire might be their only option. So we'll see. It's interesting, but it starts with follow, as always, follow the money, and the money has shown up. So we'll the money is game bridge. The money uh, is game bridge. So, um, <laughs> and there is Formula, of it. it's- <laughs> Formula One uh, raced in Austria this past weekend. Max Verstappen dominated once again. Shock, surprise, and mm. even pitted with two laps to go to take the fastest lap on the last lap of the race from his teammate. Is that the ultimate motorsport slaughtering and slap in the face of all time? Just the disrespect. (laughs) 
Um, just speaking straight of, up slapped. I mean, we just talked about SVG being three quarters of a second faster than the next fastest car. Uh, that is Max Verstappen in F1 right now. And I've been talking about it for weeks. And yeah. yes, after all the upgrades and all the exciting news, and there's a lot, you know, the funny, uh, this, we see this in racing from time to time. The race from third to 10th in F1 is awesome. Yeah, like, it's great. There, there's some great, there's some great, <laughs> rivalries brewing and uh you know parody between third and third and tenth on the f1 grid uh but yeah well let's just i mean to your point let's just let's look at that field cleared by half a second and just real quickly your point you know third sergio perez red bull Fourth, Lando Norris, McLaren. Fifth, Fernando Alonso, Aston Martin. Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari. George Russell in the Mercedes. Then you had Lewis in the Mercedes. Lance Stroll in Aston. And then ran out the points. Pierre Gasly in the Alpine. Like, you know, that's that's a, a great set of parity and assortment. It's just, you know, you have this annoying uh, number one car <laughs> that's absolutely dominating everyone else. Um, it wasn't, you know, a ton of stuff in the race that happened aside from that that you know to dive into other than what happened post-race essentially which was with these track limits and i've tweeted and been very vocal about my hatred of track limits and how i think it's one of the stupidest things that has ever been Mm -hmm. uh you know created around motorsports and you know the only thing stupider is the sausage curb uh in areas where it's like it's supposed to be a runoff and yet you hit this three-foot curb that sends you into the shadow realm um the my first and foremost my issue of track limits and explaining what track limits are track limits are arbitrary position points on the racetrack that the the stewards decide that you can no you can only go so far into this area whether you know it's a curb or a line or whatever into a paved area without before you get basically a penal a penalty a time penalty or a reprimand for going that far out and basically making the track too wide. Uh, it makes absolute sense in terms of cutting corners. Of course, you don't want people cutting corners. But in terms of exits, to me, it makes zero sense. And my point being is, as motorsports has you know, tried to be safer and that sort of thing, we've paved a lot of areas that used to be gravel traps and, and grass because we discovered cars can generally slow down better on asphalt and you know you don't get as hard hits into the wall and in the rain it might be safer and that sort of stuff right and it doesn't catch on asphalt and start flipping all the place and so it's supposed to be safer but because of that it's changed the nature of the runoff of some of these racetracks where you know there's a lot of room that could take a corner that wasn't flat out and suddenly make it flat out to me that is a feature not a bug (laughs) that is modern racing you add pavement to this area, the track has changed. We can use it. It fits within the parameters of the way to drive that racetrack as fast as possible. Then by all means, go ahead. We in NASCAR obviously go via that uh, methodology. And when you look at races like Coda or the runoff of turn, uh, what is it, the carousel at Watkins Glen or you know anywhere that has runoff like that, we're going to use it and we're allowed to. Um and it's because they view it the way I do, which is, hey, that's that. you think you can use it to go faster? By all means, good luck. Now, if you're cutting the course, that's different. But if it's on the outside, you want to make the course longer, but that's faster, have fun. What happened this past weekend is that the Austrian GP has some pretty strict track limits. And essentially, they, you know, it was very hard not to go over those track limits. 
you had what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cars with multiple, you know, ten and five second penalties, including Esteban Ocon, who got one, two, three, four, thirty, basically equaling thirty seconds worth of penalties for putting his tires over an arbitrary line decided by the stewards that beat is too far. How in the world are you supposed to explain that to someone watching racing for the first time and be like, whoa, 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 you can't go over that line? Why? It's paved. It's just a line. Well, if you go over that, it's track limits. What is a track limit? Like, what? It well, doesn't I want to make talk about that any for a sense to me. It doesn't make Let, any sense. I want to look at this holistically for just a second because I got into some Twitter debates and I, you know, I had my own tweet about track limits. I said that um, track limits were a design flaw in speedways just or in racetracks. Just like chicanes, um, which I firmly believe that chicanes are a design flaw. Uh, but that's a yeah. That we can talk about that. They're a time. bug. They're a bug. Um, so let's talk about track limits for just a second, because we say, uh, like, and what I mean is, I want to define track limits. Um, because we keep saying track limits like it's a man-made thing, right? And I get what the version of track limits that you're saying. Yes, it's a man-made thing. But let's just start on one end of the spectrum because to me, track limits is a spectrum, right? The, the okay. on, on We're not going to start on the end of the spectrum that you're at, which is painted line track limits. You know, We're going to start on the opposite end of the spectrum. And to me, the uh, and I want you to, to help me through this, okay? The opposite end of the spectrum from where you're at is really the limit of the race car. That's the first track limit that exists, Right. No walls, mm-hmm. no nothing. Just if your car, you know, like let's just say you were racing on a on a completely, you know, paved skid pad and you had to get from point A to point B, the limit would be the your your what your car can handle to get from point A to point B in the shortest distance, right? Like that would be the original yep, yep. track limit. That's the OG track limit. <laughs> okay. I think the next track limit from there is a wall. Right, uh, maybe I'm jumping too far ahead, but let's just say the next one is a wall. That's a pretty definitive track limit. Like you can't go. Th- I guess you can go through the wall. Some people go through. It's been it's been done before. <laughs> <laughs> I attempted it this weekend. Go through the wall and keep racing. There's a pretty big penalty to that, right? So you can say the next track limit is a wall, is a barrier, a physical barrier that'll stop the car. Um, and then you could go down another step of track limits and say, okay. We have after the wall, we have things like grass, right? Where we go from pavement to grass. That's a track limit because you you go off the pavement into the grass. You're not going to be able to advance your position through the grass. Although Dale Earnhardt did it once. Um, (laughs) There's exceptions to everything, but that's that's a whole other point. (laughs) That's another debate. (laughs) But there's exceptions to everything. Okay, so you have grass. You have a wall. You you have the you know the car is your ultimate track limit. You have the wall is a track limit. Um, you have grass, you have, you know, maybe gravel, dirt, you know, some kind of pavement ends. And then you have curbing, right? Maybe a little bit less intrusive or less, you know, penalty stricken like a wall or grass. You have, you know, curbing. So there's all t- different types of curbing. Um, you know, you may not see it for, if you've only ever watched races on TV, you see the curbs, but you may not realize that like sometimes those curbs have these these channels in them that are inches wide and inches deep, right? And when you drive over them with the car, you actually lose traction. 
or or the car you know bounces so much that you lose a lot of the harmonics it like literally robs your car of acceleration of horsepower because you're driving over a, a rumble strip you know you've anybody that's driven a car on the highway know you know has felt that right the rumble strips on a highway so you have different types of curbing then you have like really aggressive curbing um, which actually that might be above these, right? You know, that's more closer to a wall type thing, the turtles. And I stuff. think we're getting a little, 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 little in depth. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. All the way down, Keep you know, we went through curbings all the way down to painted lines, right? And then when the, but the thing is, and, and this is the thing that we're talking about, like when you get to all those things are, are maybe man-made track limits, but they also are self-policing, Right. Because you go off the track into the grass, you lose track. You, you lose the ability to advance. You crash into a wall. Obviously, you can't race anymore. You you know you go over a curb. You lose traction. You lose ability to advance. But you get down to this point of painted line track limits, and now they're not self policing anymore. Right? They have to be policed yep. by an official by the by the race stewards, and that in itself is a flaw, because I feel like a proper racing series and a proper race director should not be in uh, and working with track designers. Cause I understand that racing series and race directors aren't always the ones that design tracks, but the, the purpose of a race director is not to make more rules for them to have to enforce. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's actually, that's very wasteful in the whole process. If you're creating things that you then have to, officiate that don't self-police then you're just making your life more difficult and you're making the racing product depend more on you and not on the racing and so you know you can you can come to me with whatever whatever opinion you want about like well the drivers need to be able to race within painted lines what's so difficult about that you know, somebody on Twitter, um, a good friend of mine actually was debating me pretty intensely about it. And he was like, well, how is it different than in football? Like the field has to have lines and boundaries. And, and, and I mean, my argument to that is like, well, in, in football, if someone goes out of bounds, they stop the play, <laughs> right? They, they stop the yeah. play and they reset. That's part of the game. That's a, that's part of the game. And, and, and so in, in racing, we don't stop the play when someone goes out of bounds. Uh, we do if they go if they like fully go out of the speedway, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but but in a man-made, you know, in terms of a man-made track limit or or a, you know this whatever this version of man-made track limit we call it a painted line track limit that that requires officiating. You can't. You're not going to stop the race for every time someone goes out of bounds and reset the field, right? So you really just as a sanctioning body or as a racetrack, you just created problems. You didn't solve them by having track limits, by having quote unquote painted line track limits. They they just, they're not helpful. <laughs> and I guess they're a, maybe a byproduct right now of like, well, we're trying to do this for safety by having runoff, by having paved runoff. And I understand that and I appreciate that as a driver. But, um, but there has to be a better solution, I guess. I don't know. Has to be. I don't know I, what it I is. think it's, I I appreciate the history lesson, and I do. Uh, I think it's important to bring all that up because that's how we ended up here. It's to me though, you you summed it up well, which is it's inserting stewards and decision making, and um, you know, 
outside of the race influence into the results of a race, right? When motorsports can be very can be far more pure than that because you don't have to. There is no, you know, I I have my tweet which is like there's only three things required for a motor race. It's a start line, a finish or start point, finish point and motor powered vehicles. Everything else is adjustable. You you don't have to do this. There isn't it's the game isn't designed this way for the people that said football fields have yep. out of bounds. It's like, yeah, the game here's was another, designed here's that another way. way to- Real quick, here's another question. And actually, you made the you made the you made a really really good point there. That okay, there's three things that are required for a motor race, right? The car, the track, the driver. I don't remember what you said, but uh, start point, finish point, motor point, power fin- vehicles. So start point, finish point, a car, and a driver. Let's say that because I'm big on. Uh, I, okay, I so four things. Got to have a driver. <laughs> not a, not big on self driving uh, race cars. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh. Race official is not on that list. Race uh, official, like, (laughs) you know, official race steward is not part of the product, right? So if you want to think about this in terms, and Parker, you know how much, and offline of podcasts and our personal lives as much as we talk, you you know how much I'm interested in, like, manufacturing and business and things like that. If If you want to equate this to business if there's anybody in business out there or in manufacturing or in you know service business or whatever product selling a product and you think about how do i keep the cost of my product down how do i keep the quality of my product up right and how do i keep my customers happy well in racing you would say you would say eliminate waste right you would say well i'm not i'm not going to do wasteful i'm not going to invest money in wasteful things i'm not going to invest money in things that don't contribute to the end product right well, in racing, mm-hmm. the the race official who's watching the yellow line to make sure that nobody goes over the yellow line on the exit of the turn isn't actually really contributing to the end product that is an entertaining race. Yeah. Right? They're not yep. a value added. And I say this with the utmost respect because they're uh, – I'm not trying to say that officials aren't needed. I have a lot of friends that are officials. Um, You know, I wouldn't – be opposed to being one myself. I've been what we are officials in the Firecracker 400, Parker. <laughs> yep. We're not, yep. Uh, not just yep. dunking. Uh, we went from dunking on spotters, now uh, officials, all this stuff. <laughs> Josh says he wants to dunk on spotters. No that's one's safe. No one's safe on the Money Lab podcast. I, that's not how I want this to be taken. I I, I just want... I, I'm going down this like thought experiment rabbit hole of saying, what is the actual product that matters? And... <sighs> It's the yeah. on-track race. It's the fans watching a race, right? Mm-hmm. That's why Bill France did not want the people to get disqualified two days after a race, right? Back in the tech barn, after the fans had already seen a race and seen a checkered flag and seen, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't because he was romantic about the winner being able to go to victory lane. It was because he, he had a product that he needed his customers to see and get connected to. Right. And he wanted his customers, his race fans to get connected to that person in that moment that the driver won the race. And he he you know, while we definitely want those teams to be within the rules of the game, he it was a hard no for him in terms of we're not going to we're not going to change the race winner after the race is over. And, 
you know, for tr- when it comes to track limits, to me, that's like the fundamental issue of track. We can talk about whether a yellow line should be painted on the track or not and what to do about it. And I'm open-minded to that because there's going to be, there are times and places and there's all kinds of race courses around the world. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to go and peel up every yellow line everywhere around the world. But like, to me, I feel like we have to all understand what it is we're trying to provide to race fans. And that's a good race. And that's results on site at the moment not changing the result. How many positions changed after the Austrian GP? It was like, several. it was, uh, I mean, I don't think anything in the podium, but fourth on back, there was like several positions that got changed. If you were an it's Esteban like a Ocon fan, he lost, he lost three positions. Um, and there was, our producer says 14 positions, <laughs> oh uh, were changed. That's like the, a, that's like having yeah, a so if you were an Esteban Ocon fan, well, hold on. If you were his fan in the stands, you, you know, by the time the race is over, you're like, woo, and leave. You would get somewhere and be like, well, wait a second. He didn't yeah, finish there. wasn't real. Yeah, it wasn't real. What does that make you feel like? You bought a ticket. You saw it. You got drunk. You're leaving. You're in the bus or the Uber back to home or wherever you're headed, hotel, and you pull up your phone. And you're like, wait a second. He didn't finish there. Well, that's lame. Like, yeah. it's just to me. I, I I don't know. I just for for track for arbitrary track limits. It's not like they cheated. It's not like they, you know, had a car underweight or had a bigger engine or fake you know uh, illegal fuel. They literally just used pavement that's on the area. So dumb. Moving on. Um, we're not track limits fans, and they. I'm suck. glad we talked about that that way, though. I hope I hope that yeah. I hope the fans, I hope the listeners got something out of that explanation because you le- you know how I love to get uh, theological about racing, right? And well, you did definitely, and and I, I and I enjoy doing that because I feel like I just I I love to peel back the layers and really understand why we do things. Let's keep going. I I love it. I love it. And I just want to uh, give a shout out to Alex Pillow and IndyCar who continues his domination of that series yeah. right now. Three in a row. And he's not driving a Red all Bull. The, he's, no. He's driving <laughs> all a car, the, Indy car where all the, all the cars are supposed to be the same. Um, yep. Granted, it is still motorsports, but I mean, maybe that's They're the most the same, underrated, impressive but... dominance in in uh, motorsport right now. It's Alex Pillow's um, it, it has to be. It's, I don't think it's getting talked about enough um, because it's just highly impressive. We've talked about how competitive the IndyCar series is. It's un, it's unbelievably tight, unbelievably competitive. Uh, they have so many cars now. I think it's 27 starting every race, 28. So it's it's wow. wild how deep the field is, and this guy is just on another level right now. There is a lot of rumors about him headed to Formula 1, which would be great for – I know some people are like, well, you lose that guy in IndyCar, but I always think that's a – you know for IndyCar – that can be a a positive because you know if he goes over there and he does really well, it's like look, he's a badass over here and he carried that over to Formula One. So I think it can be good, uh, good sort of marketing for them. And then just a shout out to Connor Daly, jumped in for Simon Pagano who had that horrific wreck uh, at the end of the straightaway there in Mid Ohio when his brakes failed. He wasn't clear to drive, so Connor Daly jumped in and almost uh, almost got his his old past his old car there at the end. Which I thought was I was I was kind of rooting for him just as a driver, be like, "Come on, man, you can do it." <laughs> he finished one be- uh, place behind, but I thought it was a solid drive and and showed a lot of and speed. He, so good for Connor. 
any any real professional driver like mm-hmm. my myself and yours that's been been canned at some point in our career <laughs> is uh yep um, <laughs> was rooting for Connor Daly <laughs> because oh, the car man. is running no better. So yeah. uh, it's well, I wanted what so. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna push this next topic to another week, but it was basically we wanted to dive. We've been talking so much about Formula E. We're gonna dive into the economics of Formula E and some of the interesting things going around there. Well, what it would take to run? Uh, how does it compare to Cup we, teams? You know how much do these cost? All that. So I know we're, we're pushing the week, topic, though. but we de- we need we need to make that a priority next week if I'm gonna start my career in Formula E and find a That's sponsor. That's why I wanted to do it. Out, yeah, we gotta we yeah we gotta figure out how much money I'm gonna need to come up with and. We're gonna um, do this in that. real time, so, and we're gonna okay. Yeah, we're gonna decide if we're gonna if we if you have to go to a team or if we can just buy a team. We're gonna we're gonna just do okay. this whole thought experiment and try it out. Okay. Um, okay. And then so with that, I'm headed to Atlanta this coming weekend. That's where the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and NASCAR Cup Series are headed. Uh, but the NASCAR Truck Series is headed to Mid Ohio, which I raced in last year, which I won, which was an amazing moment in my career. Um, and I now have had four drivers uh, and teams that have my notes. By asking me, so I my question to you, Landon, should I just post them publicly for everyone to have? They're not they're not super in depth. It's corner by corner. Hold, um, hold on, it's not the most in depth notes I've ever taken, but I just took them that day, and I remember being like, oh, it's good. And then I've had so many people reach out, and I'm not able to race in it. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just put this put it out for everyone. So what? Uh, first of all, can you answer this question for me? How how did other people get your notes? Well, I sent them to them. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, I thought, I thought. So I'm just reading off of you know our our notes for the pod here, and I'm sitting here going, "Did your is there a in, more interesting story here? Is there like a an IP <laughs> breach 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 uh, of my notes? Like, was there like a security <laughs> breach on your notes? Like, did did your did your Mid Ohio race winning notes from 2022 <laughs> get hijacked, and now you're just gonna be like okay like screw you guys i'm gonna give it to everybody is that but but you're saying that you pass the notes along in good faith um good but faith. you're almost people wondering, have asked. hey let's let people have asked for them you're fair you're you're sharing some of the expertise um some yeah. of the notes and now you're wanting to at, know should i just publish them yeah because i'm at four teams and drivers um who have all asked politely and so i was like mm-hmm. if you ask politely sure thing here you go no problem Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, thought, I was like, at this point, maybe I should just dump them out there. But we'll so, hold them back. We'll hold them uh, back. From my no, 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 no. So from my um, here's here's my answer to your question. Okay. Um. Long, long, long time ago, when Toyota was just a sewing machine manufacturer, Kichiro Toyota was asked because he was very known for being pretty transparent and forthcoming about like their machine designs and, and their development things like that. And he was asked about, um, what do we do if people copy our processes and copy our designs? Like they could just copy our machines and then, you know, get beat out. And he was famously quoted saying, they do not have the expertise gained from the failures it took to produce the original. Mm. So Interesting. To answer your question, Parker, from the wisdom of Kijiro Toyota, I would say put them out there. 
They don't. Uh, I appreciate they can that, use your notes Mr. If they want, but they don't have the expertise gained from the time and effort, <laughs> failures that it took for you to make. <laughs> from all the corners I went into and thought that's not going to work. Uh, yeah, they don't. They and to have your the point, notes they want, but they don't know why the notes exist. They don't know why, you know, why you came up with those felt it. certain notes. They didn't live it themselves, so it might help them. It might not. Yeah, but, and in the startup world. They would say, you know, that's when people are worried about like, oh, they'll steal my idea. And it's like, if they can steal your idea and then execute and create the thing that you were going to create, then you were never going to win in the first place. So mm-hmm. good luck. There you go. <laughs> On that note, you have anything else or we should we uh, should we call that a pod? I'm good. Call it a pod. Firecracker 400 starts next week. Eraser.gg. Go sign up. Thrustmaster T818 involved. NASCAR Hall of Fame. It's going to be epic. Uh, And happy birthday, Landon. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.